Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello and welcome to the Security Token Show. We are your hosts, Herwig Konings and Kyle Sondland, and today we're going to be getting into security tokens and non-blockchain-based exchanges and marketplaces. But before we do, I'll be covering last week's industry news updates, we'll hear about the latest STOs and market updates from Kyle, and then we'll get to our juicy main topic. It's great to be back for another episode of the show, but as always, Herwig, let's kick it off with our companies of the week. Who'd you got for episode 56? 56 now. Exciting stuff, Kyle. And I think people are going to start thinking that I have a thing for Asia because my company of the week for the third time in the last five episodes is from the region. And I'm talking this week about ECXX, the newest digital securities exchange to receive a license on the block. No pun intended there. They are based in Singapore and using the monetary authority of Singapore's sandbox license to operate. That means they are fully licensed to provide trading services for security tokens. So here are some key takeaways for you. One, they are supposed to be an entirely blockchain-based exchange, which is awesome since it will let them leverage security tokens to the fullest. But there is a little to be known around which technology and partners they are using, so we'll have to wait and see there. And two, they are focused only on institutions, no individuals of any kind, even accredited, though presumably if you're accredited, forming an accredited entity won't be that tricky to, to really qualify for. But the point here is we are talking about an OTC institutional exchange for digital securities, of which the exchange says there is over 3.4 trillion in assets under management in Singapore alone to help digitize and provide a market for. So I'm not a huge fan of this, but digitizing capital markets starts with the institutions first and the institutions may want a playground like ECXS first. You know, they aren't privy to having retail investor markets have an effect there. So there could be some logic, I think. But finally, three, they also just received a $6 million investment to help them grow. So we can expect a lot from this new player probably pretty soon. So for all these reasons, Kyle, ECXSXX is my company of the week for episode 56. You can actually check out more about it at ECXX.co. Interesting. So they're an OTC trading platform for securities. When I hear that, my mind first goes to the debt markets just because so much of the corporate debt market is traded on OTC desks, even here in the United States and even here for the largest of corporate bonds. Most of it is dealt in OTC markets. So I wonder if that's how it's going to be in Singapore for, for ECXX or, or if they're going to go for different assets. It'll be interesting to see. Those are trillion dollar markets that are privy only to institutions. So it makes sense. So we'll what about you, Kyle? What, what you got? Well, for this week, I have to go with Republic. And so a month ago, we covered the launch of the Republic Note, which is a security token offering launched by the crowdfunding platform Republic. The firm launched a profit-sharing token backed by the entire portfolio of startup equity that has raised money on its platform. And so last week, Republic announced they have actually successfully closed their full offering, which leveraged two specific fundraising exemptions and raised $11 million with another $5 million in interest demonstrated by non-accredited investors. 
So Republic has executed the fundraising process masterfully in this offering, and it clearly demonstrates the value of the security token. As one of the largest crowdfunding financial platforms, it's also an awesome example to set for future issuers who may be considering a security token over a traditional financing round. So we're going to cover much more detail on how these financial regulations and exemptions were used for the offering in my STO section, but for successfully selling out their entire allocation of $8 million and actually increasing the raise size to $11 million due to demand while still seeing another $5 million in additional interest from retail investors, I'm very excited to give Republic my company of the week for episode 56. Their STO has been huge, Kyle. That's a great choice. You know, they really put themselves as a pioneer in the security token industry as a result of this. We knew, we, we know some of their folks over there on their team. They are focused on security tokens, but this is really the first foray into really doing a big thing. And clearly there, I believe over 700,000 users are, are, are clearly showing interest because of what you just said there about those knockout fundraising numbers. So congrats to, to Republic. Awesome job. Absolutely, it's really exciting, especially for a firm with the clout that they have to eat their own dog food in this case and really prove the value of this kind of offering and what this means for them as an issuer, I think will have existing ripple effects for their future clients as well, and and that could be great for the industry. So awesome work, Republic. Looking forward to learning more about that, specifically in your updates section later for STOs, but let's jump right into the news. For those of you listening for the first time, you should know that all the articles Kyle and I discuss on the show are sourced from stomarket.com slash news, and they're also available for your reference in the about description of the podcast itself or always on the Security Token Show Medium blog if you ever want to follow up and check them out yourself. Absolutely. And kicking things off this week for the news cycle is confirmation news that the crypto industry favorite SEC Commissioner, Commissioner Hester Pierce, aka Crypto Mom, has been voted in another five-year term at the SEC. This means continued vocal support for the digital asset industry from this commissioner, implying more chance for reform in the coming years in the scenario where she was, of course, no longer at the SEC. Pierce specifically said, in light of her confirmation, that she will, quote, try to work on the commission's attitude toward innovation, which has been highlighted when we consider crypto. And specifically, she, that she wants to, quote, set up a regulatory framework that works well for crypto. So let's see if she is indeed able to champion that within the SEC in her new term. Congratulations again, Commissioner Pierce. And I, for one, am glad to see you stay and bring both innovation and diversity to the SEC. And Goldman Sachs made headlines recently as it doubles down on blockchain despite anti-Bitcoin rhetoric in the past. Matthew McDermott is the investment bank's newest global head of digital assets. And as the CNBC article says, quote, the appointment means the newest face of blockchain and cryptocurrency on Wall Street isn't a starry-eyed Bitcoin evangelist or ostentatious startup founder, but actually a 46-year-old veteran of old-school financing markets. So that's right, folks. McDermott's on Team Security Tokens, and he sees a future in which all the world's financial assets reside on electronic ledgers and activities that today require multiple bankers and lawyers, like IPOs and debt issuances, of course, will be largely automated. So where is he getting started, you ask? Repurchase agreements, or the repo market, which provides short-term financing for hedge funds and the like, and it's said to be over a trillion a day in volume, and yep. It's, yeah, it's largely analog and human capital intensive. So as McDermott 
puts it, quote, in securities, finance, and repo, if you look at those markets, they're right for standardization, he said. So there's a lot of legacy processes in the vast movement of collateral that makes them very cost inefficient. So by leveraging distributed ledger technology, you can standardize processes to manage collateral across the system, and you have a much more efficient settlement process given the real-time settlement. So this is major, major news for the industry. Wall Street incumbents are starting to make themselves known that they see blockchain and distributed ledger technology as the future. You can't put it any more clear than that. Very cost inefficient and it'll standardize the processes of managing collateral. I mean, that's what we've been preaching and he sees it very clearly. He's gonna be doing it at the forefront, Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest investment banks in the world. And over in South Korea, the largest commercial bank, Cookman Bank or KB, will begin offering Bitcoin custody services through a new partnership with Hashed, a blockchain venture fund, and Cumberland Korea, a cryptocurrency exchange. And so in the press release last week, the company acknowledged that they also see their services moving beyond crypto, and of course also into security tokens and other digital assets. So that's great news. Maybe the same is true for South Korea's financial institutions here, Kyle. They're all embracing blockchain, since that now counts the 64th largest bank in the world, with a focus on the technology. Really exciting stuff. Asia folks, people, I, I, it's, I gotta love how fast they're moving. And then moving into you know, company announcements uh, section here, we're kicking off with a statement from industry publication securities.io, who's actually being sued by an ICO for their article on a company. Now we don't wanna bring any legal issues of our own here, so we recommend you go check out that article on your own, but securities.io specifically did say, quote, in response, unfortunately, the digital assets industry continues to result in many operators that are taking advantage of the naivety of investors. It is our responsibility to report on this unethical behavior and to report any actions taken against these rogue operators by the SEC or other government entities. We will continue with our mission. And so, you know, for that, I say good for you, Securities.io. That helps us know your journalism follows a strong ethical standard. Keep up that great work, and hopefully this legal trouble gets resolved quickly. And almost five-year-old real estate and title record-keeping platform, Ubiquity, has announced a partnership with Rainier Title, which I probably means a whole lot of nothing to most of you. So let me break that down. Ubiquity, that's Ubitquity, Q-U-I-T-Y there, uses blockchain to securely record and track deeds with its software as a service platform. The two companies together will enable tokenization of titles for homes using Rainier's title services and Ubiquity's blockchain platform. And that's a big deal because Rainier serviced 6,000 transactions last year alone. They're big. This partnership could lead to many more real estate security token offerings coming into the space. So we're gonna be watching this closely for more news. And Swiss-based luxury collectibles tokenization service Curio has announced their foray into DeFi with the new Curio DAO and Curio Creator protocol. We're talking about a fully thought out DeFi model for Curio security tokens. It's quite fascinating, I should say, and extremely interesting, but not something that's easy to cover in just a quick minute here. So the highlight of it is, is that there's an open source DAO, that's a decentralized autonomous organization that uses a governance token to vote on proposals for the Curio Creator Protocol, which powers a stable coin that allows individuals with Curio tokens to lock up and stake their tokens using Creator Vaults. 
to earn, I think, more of the stable coin. I'm not sure. But in the end, you know, trying to create an incentive to put collateral, of course, powered by Curio's tokens, into the stable coin, creating value behind it. The company says the stable coin will be over collateralized and used just like any other stable coin for payment services. Other security token platforms are also looking at DeFi, like Vertala, we announced a few weeks ago. But I don't think I've seen anything as intricate and novel as what Curio has done here. We'll have to see how this all works post-implementation, which is targeted for October. But again, lots of materials to dive in in the links below. Now, we also have an announcement from a major cryptocurrency exchange in Asia, cementing their move into security tokens. It was previously expected that Huobi Exchange will eventually support and trade security tokens when Tokai Tokyo Financial, my company of the week recently in episode 52, invested in the exchange a while back. Now Huobi has also joined the JSTOA last week. That's the Japanese Security Token Offering Association, which features other major players, including the fifth largest bank in the world, MUFG, SBI, and also Rakuten Securities as members. So Huobi must presumably be exploring the properly licensing to trade security tokens at this point, presumably as we speak. And it's exciting to know that they, you know, including many other players, are now moving into security tokens post-crypto. And the last announcement uh, from the industry is from Mount Pelerin, which introduced a wallet app solution a few months ago for its security tokens to be custody and managed for voting and dividends and the like. So now, that, now officially the app also offers simple crypto fiat transfers as well. You can buy ETH, DAI, USDT, USDC via bank transfers and get, get of course the cryptocurrencies sent to one of your addresses. You can also cash out cryptocurrencies and get funds in 20 plus fiats in all your bank accounts. And it's also powered underneath via the Uniswap protocol if you're interested. So now that makes this wallet kind of similar to the T0 mobile app allowing you to trade crypto, except the bridge you know, supports, of course, Mount Pelerin issued security tokens already, making this one powerful universal app. You can download that wallet app on Android and iPhone. Moving into our resources and opinions from last week, we start off with the CEO of New Fund, Zoe Adamovich, doing another interview about their pivot away from the problems for security tokens. The interview is in full on Crowdfund Insider, but the main takeaways are that the company will continue to service the offerings they powered and that ultimately regulations in Europe have forced them to pivot in a direction they will not yet share while they focus on their current services. Since Boffin, the regulator there, told the company to pause, pause all future issuances on their portal. So who knows, maybe one day the company might just jump back into security tokens again. As their CEO, Zoe has no issues with the long-term value proposition, just the short-term hurdles her company faced. And next up is a really great overview of how DeFi, that's decentralized finance, by the way, since I've been throwing that term around, really works or it's being viewed on as a basis for investors and how you underwrite DeFi. So this new wave of cryptocurrency, pushing collateralized lending, using digital assets. We covered the topics, by the way, of DeFi on episode 51 and 42 in, in great detail. So you know, I recommend you can go catch those on YouTube if you didn't know, uh, all in just their short form format. And so between that and this article, which again is just, it's wonderfully written by Hacker News Sophie Luis, you should have a good grip on what DeFi is between all that. And for those of you who might have missed it in May, the technology or wallet solution behind Libra called Calibra was rebranded by Facebook, Calibra's owner, to Novi. So just to be clear, Libra is an independent organization with the same vision as Novi, but it was meant to be an independent organization and still is. It's based out of Switzerland and now trying to get the licenses to move forward. 
What's interesting in this article by Jason Brett and Forbes is that the based on feedback for what seemed like could be Novi or Facebook directly to the OCC, that's the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, which is an independent bureau within the you know, Department of Treasury that serves to charter and regulate and supervise all national banks, AKA the ones that you need permission from to offer banking services, right? And so Facebook needs to be courting them to get Novi or other uh, you know, of their financial services a way to offer payment services legally. The author suggests that with the rebranding, which was done because they wanted to remove that confusion with Libra, which is purely just using Novi as its technology provider, if you will. So it's possible that Novi may move forward without Libra altogether. Who knows at this point? I mean, I'm sure Zuckerberg may not want to make going to Congress a part of his annual routine, which seems to be the case now. So we'll see. Is Facebook up to you know new moves uh, with, with their financial division? And finally, some lawyers from Lowenstein, Sandler, Ethan Silver, William Brannan, and Alexander Zozos opined an article on Cointelegraph suggesting that FINRA is overstepping its reach when it comes to regulating digital assets. In short, FINRA is a self-regulated organization that works with the SEC to maintain licensing and oversight of all financial services firms conducting securities transactions. I'm talking about investment banks and marketplaces, right? Its focus is supposed to be securities and due to all the crypto kerfuffle, it has now started to play an active role when it comes to cryptocurrencies and other digital assets. The lawyer suggested that the latest request from FINRA, which recently asked that all of its licensed firms to share any and all of their digital asset activity with the regulator as a move that should be met with scrutiny, since it might spell doom for crypto if FINRA starts to take more influence in regulating this space. Ooh, ominous. Indeed. And that's all I've got for last week's news cycle. But I do want to add that if you missed May or June or July's winners for, for Company of the Week, by the way, they offer a good snapshot of what's been going on every month. You can find those highlights on our blog uh, with Security Token Show Medium or Security Token Group uh, Medium blog. So let's cover the latest virtual events, shall we, Kyle? What's on tap? Let's get right into it. So first off, we have Polymath co-founder Trevor Coverco is joining D-Lab on Thursday, August 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to recount Polymath's journey, the current and future state of security tokens, his founder journey, and more. So check out that interview with Trevor at 11 a.m. on August 13th to hear more from a large issuance platform in the U.S. that certainly has been through the ringer. Moving on, we also have Red Swan Digital Deals. So Red Swan, who did partner with Polymath to tokenize $2.5 billion in real estate assets in its portfolio, has been conducting some digital pitch presentations about its various properties in their tokenization pipeline. So they're going to be covering a residential property in Oakland and are going to be featuring the CEO of Red Swan's CRE Marketplace to talk about the benefits of purchasing real estate through a digital asset. So this seems like a great opportunity to learn more about the tokenization real estate sector from the perspective of a commercial real estate professional and veterans in the space. So I would highly recommend checking this out if you want to hear more about how a real estate deal is put together and what that might look like. That's August 21st at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. It's also going to have a Q&A attached. Then we also have a panel hosted by Disrupt Network on Tuesday, August 25th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time talking about secure infrastructure for digital assets. And that's going to feature executives from the Frankfurt School of Blockchain Center, Medico, Custodigit, Curve, and GK8. That one I think is definitely going to be European focused, but again, talking about infrastructure for digital assets and the security surrounding it. 
Finally, we have one more event, and this is Security Tokens Realized, also hosting an event on August 25th. This one is how many trillions of dollars will be digitized by 2025. And the focus is on how these assets could eventually become the new norm in reputable ecosystems and how the role of established exchanges, platforms, and legal firms will have to adjust. So the panelists are still to be announced, but registration and sign-up is open officially. Lots of great virtual events there for those missing the conferences. Great to see you know, the webinars are alive and well for, for you know, plenty of content for people to soak up. But I think what really people are after is your STO updates. What's going on? Let's soak up some gains, shall we? So first on tap for the security token offerings this week is more details about the Republic Note, which is my company of the week, Republic, from this episode. So Republic, as I said, is a crowdfunding platform, and they take a small portion of equity from each company that raises money on their platform as compensation. So they've got ownership in over 200 companies, including Robinhood, SpaceX, and even the most popular DeFi protocol these days right now, Compound. So structuring the security as a revenue share distribution for their token when those equity positions are, are pretty small is actually, I think, an interesting application because if you did an equity model, there'd be much more pressure to do standardized dividends instead of a revenue share where as they get liquidity for any of that underlying portfolio, they can immediately distribute that to shareholders. So investors may see a varied or inconsistent dividend as different equity assets will see different stages of liquidity at many different times. It could be, you know, in the next five to seven years, maybe more, who knows? So a standard fund or equity model doesn't quite fit that real-time distribution model that Republic is employing with their note, which is just, again, another great validation for security token models and technology, how you can be flexible with how these things work, how they're structured and how they pay out so that it makes the most sense both for the investor and it doesn't force the actual issuer to have to fit into guidelines that don't make a lot of sense for them. So Republic leveraged a Reg D 506C, which as we've covered in the past, allowed the firm to publicly market and advertise the offering to everybody, but it restricted them to only allowing them to raise exclusively from accredited investors that meet that certain income threshold. And so they seek to raise funds also through a Reg A plus exemption, which would allow for full retail investor participation, but they need to be approved by the SEC before they can actually take that money on. So while there is you know, this, this application and approval process, the firm is able to, to what's called test the waters of a Reg A plus offering, which allows them to make a more compelling case for the SEC for approval by getting some of that demand up front. So they can get that registered interest by retail investors. And let me tell you, they did. They got about $5 million in retail investor interest on top of the $11 million that they raised from accredited investors. So they will be filing for that Reg A plus offering and hopefully we'll get approved for that. Um, but awesome work from Republic. It's a revenue share structure, over 200 equities. They're gonna pay out and pay that interest to investors when it succeeds. As you said, a really great use case of security tokens and smart contracts. If you, know, if you look into it, folks, a little more detail, it is a little bit more complex in, in terms of uh, on the cuff. So I think it's great to see that there is so much demand behind this. It's obviously a great company 
Uh, but it's, it's great to see that people understood it and want to take advantage of this very novel offering, let's say. So again, yeah, it's fascinating. Deservedly won the company of the week there. Yeah, like think about it. In the public markets, you're talking about quarterly dividends or these you know standardized dividend rates and all these different things. Whereas Republic's just saying, look, we've got a great portfolio. And as these things liquidate, you can have access if you want it. So they successfully did that. And we'll give you, keep you updated if they get that on secondary markets and, and what that price looks like as well as tracking those dividend payments. Moving on, we have the security token exchange hopeful INX, who has officially filed for the second time for an IPO to raise money to build a security token and crypto exchange. The raise total is pegged at 117 million US dollars with a soft cap of only about seven and a half million. INX has been trying to register with the SEC for more than two years now, so they're trying to, to file to offer a regulatory compliance sale of their security token offering for their exchange, and now we wait to see the SEC's approval, again, as I said, for the second time. INX will issue a ERC-20 security token. They're not offering stock. So while it is technically an IPO because that's the form that they filed, it's not going to be an IPO as a public stock offering. It will be a public security token offering. And so it's going to be very similar to the Reg A Plus process, except they're not going to be a private security. There will be a public security. So there are, are less caps in terms of what they can raise, but there are slightly more restrictions around diligence and, and different disclosures they need to place. So the exchange said in the latest filing that they will not send the tokens to Ethereum wallets based on the platforms of possible rival exchanges, specifically citing Coinbase, Kraken, as well as others, which suggests that this may be a centralized offering that cannot be taken off the platform. INX tokens will have the right to receive 40% of the company's annual profits. The tokens don't represent equity ownership in the exchange, which is similar to what we saw with T0's TZROP token, except the only difference there is that this is a profit sharing versus T0 is a revenue sharing. So I think you'd prefer revenue certainly over profits. However, token holders may be unlikely to earn much in the first year because INX has lost 3.7 million in 2019 and uh, it, because of their you know, traditional crypto exchanges. We'll see if that changes, if they can get operations live. INX estimates that the platform could launch within 12 months of the minimum raise being reached. So above all else, this is a long-term play for the INX team. Best of luck with the SEC approval to them. We know that that's certainly the most tedious part of the process, getting that approval. Certainly this is only the approval for just raising, let alone the approval to, to open and go live with a security ATS. So they do have some regulatory hurdles ahead of them, but once they're past those, they're into the home stretch. Definitely an ambitious task, but you know, reforming capital markets is no easy uh, small feat. So good luck to them. Definitely, as, as we see, is gonna continue to be a process, I think. Absolutely. And then in terms of new STOs, we've got one, and this is a very vague one, but I wanted to cover it. And that was that Bitcoin Suisse, who is a crypto bank based out of Switzerland, has con confirmed their interest in issuing a security token sometime next year. So CEO Nicholas Nikolajasen mentioned in a Swiss interview that his firm believes the technology is the future of finance and he wants to be a fully operational bank in Europe while also providing the concept of a security token offering presumably offering tokenization and financing services to their clients. So not much info here about the structure or the terms because it is way far ahead. They said 2021 or 2022, but you can expect to see more crypto and blockchain focused firms start looking in the direction of security tokens moving forward. So way to be ahead of the curve, Nicholas, and best of luck on your journey. 
Moving on to our market update on the secondary market, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Omar Faridi for covering our July security token market trading report on his crowdfund insider article. With a market that has been on absolute fire over the last few months, we really appreciate the feature and a citation. So if any listeners use our data for their reports or your posts, make sure to let us know because we love to collaborate and share any security token content and we'll gladly repost anything that you send our way. As always, all of our news and our pricing data is sourced from stomarket.com. So as we've talked about, we've got over 20 tokens that are, that are listed on our platform for their price data. And so you can see many of those updating in live in real time and check out how they're performing. The total STL market cap this week is 480 million, which is up 12% from last week. So we continue that double digit growth. And in past weeks, we've seen the real estate sector demonstrate serious demand and follow the rest of the market in pushing all time high prices. Unfortunately, the sector was not able to keep up with Overstock and T0. Overstock and T0 continued trailblazing up 12.5% and 18% respectively, while real estate cooled down slightly, down an average of about 5-7% to this week. Marlowe Street, which had the huge rise over the last few weeks, I think it was up 18% last week, was hit the hardest and it's settled to prices that it was just very consistently at before its huge rise. So this is one of those things about the small token supply, right? That the price may increase significantly as the demand is there, but the reality is it will fall into that more stable price range. I think it's around $77 right now. Fullerton was the lone bright spot in the real estate market, actually netting about 1.2% gain this week in equity appreciation. It was the only real estate property to do that. Well, another huge week for the market, Kyle. I think at one point it dipped above half a billion. That's, that's good stuff. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think it's time to get into our, our main topic. Um, so, you know, despite everything, we have been covering a lot of the, the market volumes that most people probably don't know that they are actually being powered by non-blockchain-based exchanges that actually just simply support security tokens. Absolutely. The, the kind of idea behind security tokens and crypto is, is blockchain everything, right? And have it through and through. But the reality is that an exchange for security tokens doesn't actually need to be using the blockchain in order to create liquidity for security tokens. In fact, as we've seen in the past few months or years, the majority of the volume comes from these non-blockchain based exchanges. T0, for example, doesn't use the Ethereum blockchain to power the T0 marketplace. They actually use a centralized system like most normal exchanges today, just using a lot more software in the middle to make an efficient and compatible security token trading process. That's right. Just to be clear there, today as we speak, smart contracts are not powering the trades on the T0 platform. Getting regulatory approval, which requires regulators to ensure that you're capable of adhering to all requirements, means explaining to them how blockchain is doing just that. So in T0's case, they are actually working with an approved broker dealer, that's Dinosaur, to trade security tokens before being approved to use blockchain as a transaction under their own ATS license, allowing them, of course, to manage that whole process in-house. So this explains, uh, as really as an example, a lot of the delays for exchanges all around the world. The more innovative regulatory approach, let's say, has been to propose the launch of you know sandbox environments to allow for private testing, like we just saw with my company of the week winner, ECXX in Singapore, right? But most countries, including the US, 
Uh, these paths to financial market innovation simply don't exist yet. So therefore, we are left with either decentralized exchanges, as we've covered in the past, right? These peer-to-peer -peer markets, or simply leveraging centralized, non-blockchain-based exchanges. Yeah, T0, Merge, as well as Archax, and many of the other leading pioneers in the space have a developed fintech solutions that support the trading of security tokens, but don't actually use that blockchain or distributed ledger technology at all for their primary settlement method. Instead, they've optimized the current systems, which are largely analog to begin with. So to support security tokens on a blockchain-based system was simply too large of a task for regulatory approval, or it wasn't economically viable for these exchanges to pursue on initial launch. I know that many of them may be working towards this blockchain or decentralized integration, but the main priority was getting security token liquidity. We can deal with that later. There's no need to put the cart before the horse in that regard. Well, well said. So now that I think that our listeners have a good understanding of what a non-blockchain-based security token exchange or, or marketplace is, let's talk about the differences. As is already demonstrated, this model doesn't prevent security token liquidity listeners. T0 doesn't offer 24-7 trading even at all right now, as it still you know sticks to its nine-to-five window for trading. But you know we did announce on the uh, I think just last week or two weeks ago that they announced that they're going to change that. But the point being here is millions of dollars flow through their marketplace, showing viable liquidity for security tokens like OSTKO and T0 Op. So, you know, they, there are maybe other drawbacks, Kyle, that you can shed some light on. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, you really would prefer a fully blockchain-based exchange because of the automated benefits that smart contracts allow. But as we just discussed, it's simply not always possible in today's market. But we know, again, the industry's working towards it. So for now, we'll face on some of the drawbacks, like the issuer or transfer agent not having full ownership insight into who the owners are. As we discussed in our previous episode's main topic, talking about self-custody, when an investor uses non-blockchain-based exchanges, they need to send their token to that exchange, and now the investor is completely in the exchange's closed-loop system. There may be an option to take the token back out of the marketplace, but ultimately, the point is that once the token is sent to the exchange, the issuer no longer knows who owns their token, and investors no longer have the benefit of true self-custody. On top of that, we still have to deal with settlement and custody agents on the behalf of the exchange. In the example of these centralized exchanges like T0, they actually have to use a third party to settle and clear the securities, which is mandated by the SEC. In T0's case, this is a company called CompuShare. I've talked to many exchanges who would much prefer to use the blockchain as their main settlement method due to the cost benefits and efficiencies, but they've faced serious pushback from the SEC regarding the reliability of the blockchain as a secure method. Hopefully now, and one day, it can be used as a primary method of transfer and settlement, but for now, it's actually, they are forced to use it as a secondary method of clearing. So a lot of these, these centralized exchanges actually do use blockchain to track these transactions, but it's just, from a financial perspective, not used at all, it's not relevant at all, and hopefully one day, they can make that switch and make that relevant. We did cover this, right, Kyle? Yeah, we covered this in episode 44. I researched it and broke down exactly how the settlement process works. So you can listen to the main topic of that episode 44 as a standalone video. Just search in Scary Token Show episode 44 highlights on YouTube and you can listen to that one to get a better idea. 
So I think you've made some really great points. I mean, you're spot on with your analysis. You know, the exchange or street name that is seen on the ownership table is responsible for managing all the investors in their activities on their own ecosystem. So we discussed this over the last two episodes as well, actually. But basically, the exchange or a marketplace acts as an omnibus holder of all the tokens. So as an example, Kyle and I each send our own tokens uh, over to Merge, and now Merge is representing all those tokens, not Kyle and I individually on the ownership table. And if someone new on the exchange buys those tokens, the ownership table for the issuer doesn't change at all, right? Because Merge is still responsible for all those tokens there. And to your point, you may not easily be able to take your token out of the exchange due to certain regulations, and therefore you are now stuck with the exchange's ecosystem services, their custody solutions, and infrastructure to let you trade your original security token. So let me also explain that in the form of a dividend. Uh, a dividend will be sent to everyone in self-custody, right? So they, this will enable faster solutions because the dividends themselves are powered directly by the blockchain. Meanwhile, all the investors on the exchange will have to wait for the exchange to distribute the dividend itself after they first receive it from the issuer. Depending on the underlying operations of the, the marketplace or exchange, this could take more time than its blockchain-powered counterpart to distribute, of course. And they also could take a cut, potentially, in terms of that distribution fee or, or something along those lines. So you could lose out there, too. And because it's not perfectly on the blockchain, there could be issues with other individuals not getting the right amount of dividend or, or situations like that. Right, centralized mess-ups, if you will. It's also worth pointing out that non-blockchain-based exchanges like Merge still have fintech solutions in place that allow for same-day automatic distribution. So smart contracts aren't always needed for everything, right? This can be an automated process without blockchain. Absolutely But these true. platforms, despite not using blockchain, can still power liquidity for security tokens, which you said that's incredibly poignant and totally true. One benefit of these centralized methods is that they can scale potentially more effectively and quicker than by using tried and true liquidity methods. Since they're powering most of the volume today, I'd say that they are not to be discounted as an important component to the industry and are a key stepping stone for future decentralization as the industry is proved through track record and reliability. And of course, these are early days, right, for security tokens. And fintech always moves slower than other industries due to the regulation and limited competition. In reality, capital markets are still in the 1.0 phase, completely analog and largely human-driven. Fintech is enabling capital markets 2.0, but without the blockchain. In fact, platforms like SharesPost, Second Market, and EquityZen already did this before the security token industry even existed. But as we go from 1.0 to 2.0, we're already bringing in capital markets 3.0 with the blockchain. And therein, of course, comes more of a challenge. Trying to upgrade directly from 1.0 to 3.0 is no easy feat. And the entire world's capital markets will take decades to ultimately make this upgrade. But that won't stop the early adopters to bring in these benefits, including security tokens themselves, regardless of how they are traded underneath. So if you ask me, I agree. Non-blockchain-based exchanges, they play an important role despite not being able to fully utilize security tokens per se. And keep in mind that they're also better positioned to upgrade to 3.0 infrastructure than others. But it is important for issuers and investors alike to know that the liquidity solutions for exchanges and marketplaces for security tokens aren't by default built on blockchain or distributed ledger technology. Still, for most of your needs, they're sufficient. 
And I think that's all we have for the Security Token Show today. I want to thank you all for tuning in and remind you that we air this podcast weekly on Tuesdays. You can also reach out to Kyle and I directly on Twitter and LinkedIn, or you can engage with the community, whether it's adding questions or comments, or even submitting your own news, and therefore we'll cover it on the show. So it's all really super simple to do. You can do it at stomarket.com slash news. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you all next week. Mm-hmm.